Today, I am going to talk about conservation in India, a view from a practice. Conservation practices in India have come a long way from its small beginnings in the 1980s. It tried to move away from an archaeological approach and embraced the realities of Indian cities and social conditions. One may not be able to say still that conservation practices have found a firm foothold or have got required clarity. However, many of us who have engaged ourselves with heritage conservation since its founding moments in India have learned our lessons and developed insights which are worth sharing for going forward. I am Parul Javeri with my partner Nimish Patel, who is no more, started our practice called Abhikram four decades ago. Since then, we have restored many old buildings, worked closely with artisans of Gujarat and Rajasthan to build new sustainable buildings and explore traditional materials and techniques. We have also worked on urban conservation plans for cities and settlements such as Udaipur, Amer, Dunlod, and Jaipur to mention a few. Today, through this podcast, I wish to share some of our experiences, viewpoints and ideas about conservation. Ours is a viewpoint from the bottom up and points from the practice and our reflection of it. We hope these points would be useful for those interested in architectural heritage and students who are keen to work in the area of conservation in India. In 1979, when we returned to India to establish our practice in the name of Abhikram, meaning initiation in Sanskrit, we were not totally sure what direction that practice ought to take. Still, we were very clear about what direction the practice should not take. Our understanding of architecture of India and our exposure through our travels in the United States, Europe and Africa had made us understand that the richness of architecture of India lay in its variety, whereas the current attempts of universalizing architecture through the modern architecture movement were at cross-purpose to the strength of Indian architecture. We therefore established our practice on the five fundamental beliefs that, first, for India, resource conservation was very important. Second, the buildings designed must in its spirit, be representative of the Indian context, lifestyle and culture. Third, that it was extremely essential to innovate in the process of design to Indian context, rather than accepting the handed down role models from the developed society. Fourth, that better solution will emerge only from a clearer definition of the problems. And fifth, that our professional responsibilities lie first to the environment, second to the context, third to the actual user, fourth to the client, and fifth to the profession in that order of priority. The period from 1979 to 1987 for Abhikram was a period of explorations and experimentations with explicit knowledge of where not to go. In 1985, we chanced upon an opportunity when the director of the West Zone Cultural Center, Srimati Aditi Mehta, invited us to advise her on the adaptive reuse 
of the Bagorki Haveli on Lake Pichola in Udaipur to be converted into West Zone Cultural Centre. In a few months' time, it further led to Sri Ajay Mehta, the then convener of Udaipur chapter of INTAC, which is Indian National Trust for Art and Cultural Heritage, asking us whether we would be interested in preparing a perspective plan for the conservation of Udaipur city. Our answer was affirmative, but with a clarification that we had not done any academic course in conservation, nor had we attended any lectures through which we can say we understood conservation, but we had the attitude towards understanding history and a need to make it relevant in our day-to-day -day lives. After listening to us with this clarification, Sri Martan Singh, fondly known as Mapu, the founder of INTAC and Srimati Harshad Kumari Sharma of the Central Office of INTAC, Delhi, gave us a go-ahead to evolve a perspective plan for conservation of the city of Udaipur. This was a pilot project for INTAC, as till then they had only taken up the conservation of buildings or a group of buildings. INTAC had felt that there were scores of settlements in India which had a character of its own and required to be conserved in its totality. Udaipur was the one such city that offered an appropriate scale, cultural background and positivity of its people with their pride of being a Mewadi, which was complemented by the dynamism of the convener. Since we did not have any background in conservation, we decided not to colour our thinking by reading about it. We made a conscious choice of not reading any material on conservation, but decided to walk the city and interact with people from all walks of life in different formats. For six months, a group of us from the office, with Nimish and myself, went to Udaipur every two to three weeks for four to five days and walked the wall city of Udaipur, interacting with people, with only one agenda, to identify what were its strengths and what were its weaknesses. Our idea was that if we could strengthen the strengths and overcome the weaknesses, we would have taken the first step towards conservation. We decided to ask ourselves fundamental questions like what is conservation and how is it different from preservation? In the process, we realized conservation and preservation were used as synonymous words, even though there was a difference between the two. Preservation to us is a process of prolonging the life of an object, building, area, activity, etc. Whereas conservation is a process of bringing back to life an object, a building, an area or an event. Having asked that, we also wondered why do we need to conserve? What to conserve? How to conserve? Do we need to conserve because we have got an assignment? We felt the need to convince ourselves of the necessity to conserve our cultural heritage and we found some convincing fundamental reasons to do so. The reasons to conserve to us were it is our primary link with the past and shows the process of development of a society. Two, it represents a record of many of our historical attempts, achievements and failures. Third, it is so deeply rooted in our lives that whether we are aware of it or not, 
It determines the conduct of our lives. Fourth, it provides us with the basis and the motivation for future developments. And fifth, it has become so interwoven with our lives that whether we like it or not, it gives us a sense of belonging. Then the question is what to conserve. The range and richness of our heritage is so vast that every aspect that gives that settlement its cultural character needs to be conserved based on our in-depth study of tangible and intangible aspects of Udaipur city and its natural environs, we came to an understanding that in any settlement, the elements of man-made heritage such as lakes, palaces, gardens, open spaces, large and small buildings, building complexes, temples, waterfronts, fortifications, literature, arts, crafts, traditions, agriculture, food types, etc. are a direct response to the elements of natural heritage such as landforms, rivers, water bodies, mountains, climate, soil type, minerals, flora, fauna, etc. From this understanding emerged the concept of heritage fabric of a settlement, which is typical to that particular settlement only. The elements of natural heritage and the aspects of man-made heritage are interrelated and interdependent in such a manner that any positive or negative impact on any of them will have a consequent effect of varying degree on the other related elements. Through this interwoven relationship, together, they constitute the heritage fabric of the settlement, which was evident when the lakes of Udaipur went dry due to continuous drought condition for a few years, their tourism-based economy got severely affected. The prioritization for conservation can therefore be focused and implemented by identifying the heritage fabric of that settlement. Thus, the lakes of Udaipur, frescoes of Shekhawati, poles of Ahmedabad, choppers of Jaipur, and even the system of distributing the tiffins by the Dabbawalas in Mumbai are an intrinsic part of their heritage fabric, which need to be conserved. Once the heritage fabric is determined, it is necessary to understand the primary causes of the decay and destruction of our heritage to determine the policies of conservation. It will help to evolve strategies, methodologies, processes and the action plans for conservation. Some of the leading causes of its decay as we see are, it is too vast in its range as well as in quantum and there are very few known financial resources for its conservation. Two, maximum deterioration of our cultural heritage has occurred due to the change in the value system of the society, which associates progress with the rejection of the past. Hence, it has lost its relevance in the day-to-day -day lives of the people. Third, it is not seen as a vital link between the past and the present, much less the basis for future direction. Fourth, most of us designers and engineers have very little knowledge and understanding about traditional principles of designing, traditional materials, its processes and techniques of construction, 
leading to incongruent restoration and additions in heritage buildings and precincts. Fifth, the aggressive marketing of the progressive models of development have created irreparable damage to our heritage and the environment. Next, there has been a drastic change in the last century in the modes of transportation, which has put enormous pressure on the building typologies, the street widths, and consequently on their usages. Then, till the 90s, heritage conservation was not a priority with the government or the politicians or the industrialist or community or individuals as such. Consequently, Conservation-oriented development plan or guidelines are absent in most of the historic settlements of the country. In the last one, there has also been another paradigm shift in the last century. Much to our peril, individualism has gained predominance over collective in our decision-making processes. Then the strengths that we discovered were the traditional decision-making processes always balanced between the availability of resources and their consumption. Second, that the evolution of local architecture always seemed to have in its basics a conscious attempt to balance between continuity and change, so that the change was always congruent to its context. Third, most traditional buildings are very respectful of the land and the surroundings they are set in. Fourth, traditional materials and techniques of construction are much more durable and eco-friendly than the contemporary materials. Fifth, common sense appears to be the common denominator in the traditional process of decision-making. The next, traditional design and construction process offered opportunity for creative inputs at all levels of its implementation and was not restricted to the design studios of the architect's offices only. The last one, the traditional craftspeople have much better understanding of the local materials and technologies. Then the question is how to conserve? The initial step towards conservation of our heritage, we think should start with re-establishing the relevance of our inheritance in our day-to-day -day lives. It needs to be understood that the scale and quantum of conservation efforts needed is beyond the sustained efforts of any single agency, be it the government, the industry, the NGOs, or only the citizens. Next, the answer to counter the speed with which one is losing the heritage necessitates a people-centric movement. The third, such a movement is possible only when we can communicate not only values, but also the benefits of conservation to the community. And fourth, all conservation-based action plans must make sound economic sense and should create tangible and intangible benefits for all involved. Having said that, when it comes to finding resources for conservation for our vast cultural heritage, the task looks impossible as long as we think that resources mean only funds. The notion of what constitute resources needs to expand to include an attitude of people to conserve. 
the governmental support, locally available skills, and voluntary time of the motivated residents, along with the locally available, eco-friendly, less embodied energy, traditional materials, their simple processing and construction techniques, its durability accompanied by the knowledge and wisdom of our traditional craft persons form part of most important resources for conservation. The bottom line, however, is that until we re-establish the relevance of our all-encompassing cultural heritage in our lives, unless conservation-oriented actions make a positive economic difference, cultural heritage will always remain vulnerable. So what is the road ahead? The present decision-making processes practiced by many professionals are hardly based on the understanding of history or traditional principles of design and heritage. In their narrow vision, desire for novelty, which masquerades as progress, dominates over all other values. Our practice and experience have shown that continuity with the past without fossilizing it is possible and so is change without making it incongruent with the contextual surroundings. We firmly believe and have been advocating for decades that there is an urgent need for re-educating and retraining ourselves at all levels with Indian cultural perspective in all aspects of our lives. We would do well not only for conservation, but also for the built environment and life in general. Thus, it would help to make our planet sustainable. These beliefs developed and advocated by us over the last 40 years get a boost by the United Nations Agenda of Sustainable Development Goals for 2030, which clearly mentions that tangible and intangible cultural heritage is to be the driver and enabler of sustainable development for all the 193 countries who have signed its 17 goals. India is one of them. I would like to mention a few which are relevant to our topic here today. First, culture is seen as an asset for eradicating poverty by linking both its economic and social dimensions. The cultural and creative industries, the cultural tourism and safeguarding of heritage are powerful drivers for poverty reduction, sustainable economic growth, innovation and employment. Two, cultural diversity and traditional knowledge are important assets for food security and sustainable farming. Third, share knowledge and skills and manage health risks, taking into account the culture and the context. Fourth, contribute to well-being and quality healthcare by traditional health practices. And we see the evidence of that today when COVID-19 has invaded us that Ayurvedic medicines are seen as immunity boosters and yoga and pranayam are back in our day-to-day -day lives. Fifth, culture enhances access to education, so ensure more locally relevant curricula, textbooks and teaching methods. Quality education should nurture the appreciation of cultural diversity and provide youth with the knowledge and skills for decent jobs and entrepreneurship in creative industry sectors. Sixth, generate 
transformative social change by empowering women and girls as creators and producers of cultural goods and services and by supporting their participation in the safeguarding of cultural heritage and their participation in cultural life. Seventh, UNESCO Cultural Conventions on Natural, Cultural, Underwater and Intangible Cultural Heritage to allow for the protection of the environment, water-related ecosystems, coastal and marine areas, and aquaculture, and foster responsible tourism. Eighth, protection and promotion of the world's cultural and natural heritage makes cities inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. Ninth, promote the intrinsic link between cultural diversity and biodiversity to ensure greater environmental sustainability. Traditional knowledge and skills to build resilience to counter the effect of natural disasters and climate change. Culture is a resource for sustainable consumption and production patterns. We think that protection and continuity of our cultural heritage is our collective responsibility. Each one of us can and has a role that can help the cause of conservation movement with whatever strengths we possess. To us, it is people for heritage and heritage for people. This should be the way ahead. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to share some of our thoughts on conservation and our realizations, what we have implemented in our practice.